Robert, for all that you do. And uh, I'm looking forward to the pastor appreciation, not so much for myself to have any kind of recognition. It's just that it's a great time. Always see the things that people have done and gives me and uh, others, you know, great inspiration from that. So we're thankful this morning. I'd like for you to take your Bibles. Need just a, is that just a little bit loud? I can. Maybe might just be just a little bit loud, and I, I don't know. I know what our sister is talking about when the ear shuts up and you can't hear. Boy, isn't that an awful thing? We've all had that and uh, from time to time, so we want to re- be remembered to pray uh, for others as we've talked about at, uh, all through the service here today. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 4 at verse 4. Uh, sometimes, you know, it seems like we, we'll read the scriptures, you know, and we'll think, well, especially being a minister, I'll think, well, I have to put my thinker on and say, well, I don't want to re-preach something I've preached recently, but during, uh, you know, the last months and everything, it's been kind of hard to remember some things, but thank God we're all gathered here today, amen? Thank God He's on His throne And uh, he's blessing each and every one of us. I want to look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, only one verse. I've entitled the message, Are You Okay With the Word? And I could have put it like this, Or is your life okay according to the Word? And so that's that's the essential thing this morning. Are you okay with the Word? Or is your life okay? Okay, according to the word. Now, you just choose whichever one you want. The Bible says in verse 4 of Matthew 4, He answered and said, It is written. It is written. There's something about that. Something about that phrase, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. Is your life being lived out according to the Word of God? If you're sure it is, then you should be okay. And I like to make this point from time to time. No one knows that but you and God. You see, you and God, you know if your life is okay according to His Word and according to the life that you live. One thing we all know for sure, life is more. Much more than just bread, meat, and drink. I love good eating. I love good eating. Somebody says, how much do you love good eating? I love it a whole bunch. (laughs) Old Barney Fife said one time he was trying to impress a girlfriend, and they were sitting on the front porch. And he said, I sure do love good food. And I thought, Barney... (laughs) I love good food too, you know. Food is important. It's essential to our physical body and to our physical man. But what about the spiritual? When we came to know the Lord as our personal Savior, I think these words really begin to stand out on the pages Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, I want to turn to the Old Testament, 
And I want to go to the book of Deuteronomy. And I want to look in the 8th chapter. And I want to see how Moses recited these words that Jesus spoke about. And he said it like this to the children of Israel. All the commandments, verse 1 of chapter 8 of the book of Deuteronomy. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember it. He did it to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart. Whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or not. For he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. And fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Your life since you became his child, the father's child, is about taking his word as your guide. And your standard for living. Can you say amen to that? But many don't see it that way. They will say it is impossible to live by all God's word. And he, God, knows that. God, isn't that good? A lot of people will say that. God knows we can't live by every word that is written or that proceedeth out of his mouth. There's some place in the Bible, and I didn't study that or look for that. But Jesus said these words in essence. If I had not come and spoken, if I had not come and spoken, in other words, I mean really made the word binding. It was one thing for him to come. It was another thing for him to speak the word. And he said, if I had not come and spoken unto you, then you would have no sins. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have uh, been caught in the trap of sinning, perhaps. But he did come. And he did speak. And the Bible says that God's word is what every man should live by. That statement, that teaching is an endeavor by the devil to influence the mind away from God. Why, God knows you can't keep every word. Some of that was written for the Jews, and some of that was written for someone else. But I like the way that Robert brought that personal touch to our minds this morning. Amen? That, that means so much because the devil will never stop trying to influence our minds away from God. And when it's away from God, it's away from the Word. When it's away from the Word, it's away from the law. Because God's Word and God's law are 
just, I mean, just, <laughs> they're the same thing, amen? And so sometimes we hear those kind of statements. But can I say to you, it is called carnal reasoning. Carnal reasoning. It contradicts the standards that God has set for us. Go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look in the New Testament. We're going to go through some of these scriptures pretty fast. Um, Connie called me a long-winded preacher one time. I forgave her. I said, sister, you ain't heard nothing yet. Amen. She sure has been good to me lately. <laughs> I had to get that lately in there. <laughs> I want to look here in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Paul is speaking to the brethren in Rome. Paul had gone about uh, not only by, not just by himself, but churches had been set up. Uh, the Corinthian church, and I could go on down the line with all of the churches that had been set up. Some of them were just in people's homes, and some of them was just uh, down, you know, the Bible says by the riverside. But nonetheless, there was always brethren that was hungering for the word of God. And Paul said to the brethren in Rome, verse 1 of chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Not, I'm not condemning churches, but I'm saying here we're not dealing with being acceptable to the church. We're not dealing with being accept, acceptable to the society or even acceptable unto the brethren. But he said that you would present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. I like the word reasonable. I'm speaking about reasoning a little bit here when I'm talking about are you okay with the word? Is your life according to the word? So some reasoning in here. He said, be not conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said here in this first verse that you would present your body. You can't do a thing about somebody else's. We might bring things to somebody's attention, we might share things with somebody. Uh, I went over there and made an adjustment on Robert's collar on his jacket. He couldn't see that. But I saw that. And he was my brother, so I adjusted his collar. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You can't do anything for somebody else. But you can certainly give your body as a living Sacrifice. What does the word sacrifice mean? Well, I think we all know that the word sacrifice means that there's going to be, there's going to be some uh, things that don't sometimes set well with the flesh. The flesh, I've said before, dies hard. Not only does it die hard, it dies very hard. And if you're not careful, it'll rise up on you again. It'll come up on you again at the very worst 
of times for you. That's why when you bury a body, you go to the cemetery and you bury a body, you don't leave a foot hanging out of the casket. That's not a good burial service. You see what I'm saying? That, that foot is going into decay, but you want to make sure that you get that foot down in the grave real good. If you're using a casket, get it in the casket, and when you close it up, uh, you will have no more problems with the flesh. You see that? Flesh dies hard. I mean it dies hard. It'll fight you. It'll fight you every moment of the day. You will think, and I, I tell you what, sometimes I'll think to myself, you know, I've just been having such a great and a wonderful time in the Lord, you know. And you have, you, you have had a great time. You're just working and you're singing, you're thinking. As Dustin said, you've got kind of a constant prayer. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's what you can do. You don't pray on your, stop and kneel and pray on your boss's time. But you're in an attitude of prayer all day long. You're in an attitude of prayer. You're in an attitude of faith. You're in an attitude of God's Word. I mean, you're just focusing on the things at hand, but you, you still got all of that going on on the inside of your mind. So what I'm saying to you is this. It's like when you baptize somebody in the water, you got to get it, which is a type of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm always very cautious to, and I tell them ahead of time, I'm going to get every bit of you down in that watery grave. Somebody said, well, what if you let a little bit hang out? Well, that wouldn't be a sin. It wouldn't be a sin. But why would you want to do that? You get rid of the dead body. You hide the dead body. You cover the dead body. And that's what God is saying in his word. Your body is to be a living sacrifice. You put it on the altar. Sometimes in life we say, well, you know, God, I feel like that I, my time is being cut a little bit short in life. But can you understand that the Word of God says you're not just dealing with this physical life, you're dealing with eternal life. And so if our time is a little short, if we've got young ones that passed a little bit sooner than we'd like for them to have passed, if we've lost a loved one, or if we're on, the, I mean, the last moments of our life, in the last moments of our life, just ready to give everything up and, and pass from here to the grave and our spirit returning back unto God. Sometimes, as it was in the days of Nehemiah, not Nehemiah, it was Nehemiah, wasn't it the one that prayed unto the Lord and the Lord gave him 15 more years? He, huh? Hezekiah. There you go. Hezekiah. So we're to present our bodies as, it's just our reasonable service. Now, he said, for I say, verse number three, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I like that. That's saying God has given every man the ability to think, the ability to analyze, and the ability to reason. All of those are good. But remember, reasoning carnally is death, and reasoning spiritually is life. I like that. That's biblically. You see, faith is not a 
worldly matter. And so when we're dealing with faith, when we're dealing with these things, we're, we're, we're dealing here as those that have been given new birth and spiritual life has come into us. Now, I went to the dictionary to look up the word reasoning. I always do this, and when I did, it says reasoning simply means ex- an explanation. It means justification. Did you know that? I, I, I was surprised to see that in there. Justification. Made, made right. So when you're reasoning something, you want to make it right. You don't want to reason something and, and then end up with that reasoning taking you in the wrong direction. Reasoning is a motive for action, the dictionary says. And reasoning is the power of thinking. The power of thinking. Now, there's a good illustration of this, and I want to go in the Old Testament to the book of Samuel. I want to look in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Now, let me say this before I read anything. Uh, I've entitled the message, Are You Okay with the Word? That's the brief of it. Uh, the children of Israel desired a king, and their first king was named Saul. And when I say the children of Israel, I'm simply talking about God's children. That would be you and me. And when we put ourselves into every avenue of this Bible, as Robert said, it speaks to our hearts. That's what it's designed to do, speak to our hearts. No longer would they be a theocracy. They wouldn't be governed by God. For they desired to be like the other nations. I mean, simply put, that's king governed or king ruled. Now, the biggest and worst decision or reason for failure in all of these things was because they desired a king. They didn't want to be governed by God. Remember when the people said at the time when Jesus was, I mean, being condemned and and uh, they said, give us Barabbas. Uh, we, we want nothing to do with this man. Well, that's kind of the thoughts. Now, I want to pick up here in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And I want to look at verse number 15. Now, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I speak to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. And Saul drew near, verse 18, to Samuel in the gate, and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. Where's the prophet's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me into the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go, and I will tell thee all that is in thy heart. Verse 20. And as for thine asses that were lost for these three days, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all of the desire of Israel? It is, not on, is it not on thee and of all thy father's house? Verse number 27. 
And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid thy servant to pass on before us. And he passed on. But I want you to stand still a while, that I may show thee the word of God, or I may cause thee to hear the word of God. Now this is the prophet. The word of God was designed, and when we say that, every man has been given a measure of faith, and there's other scriptures in the Bible that will verify that same thing. But the Word of God was designed in such a way, and isn't this amazing how so many times when a preacher begins to preach, it begins to kind of circle something that everybody has already spoken about. And that's good because we're on the same wavelength in the Spirit of God. And so Samuel said, I'm going to give unto you the Word of God. I'm going to speak the Word of God unto you. And as the King James says, I will show thee the word. Now, we've got to get one verse out of chapter 10. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head, Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? So we're looking here at leadership. We're looking at the governing possibilities that would come through uh, Saul to God's children. The Bible speaks about Saul being at one time Saul was little in his own eyes. Little in his own eyes. I mean there were some good things about Saul. I mean he prophesied with the prophets one time. The spirit of the Lord God came upon him. And people couldn't, they'd say well is this Saul? And he's prophesying? So there was a lot of good things that Saul started out with. He was God appointed. And he was God anointed. But like so many they hear. They hear. And they receive the anointing. And they are appointed. But they reason. With. The carnal mind. About things of God. His word or his law. Now Samuel said, and here I could go back to the phrase and make this thing really something. Jesus said in one place, if I had not come and spoken, and Paul, I mean, and Samuel leaves us the word here, I will show thee the word of God. I'll cause thee to hear the word of God. It wasn't though Saul didn't know the word of God. He knew the word of God. But here is how God will oftentimes let you run your course in whichever way you are headed. If you're headed that way, oftentimes God will let you go on and go that way. Sometimes there'll be an occasion where he may throw a roadblock in your way. And you may have to go around the roadblock for just a little bit. But he will try as he did in the days of Balaam. He will try to keep you from hanging your own self. Amen? So God has spoken unto Samuel. Samuel gives a word unto Saul. And so we're just going from there. I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. The Bible says in verse 1, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, 
whereof 2,000 were with Saul, and 1,000 was with his son Jonathan. The Bible says, and the rest of the people, the bottom portion of verse 2, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Verse 3, now Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. Verse 4, so all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines. And that Israel also had an abomination, was had in abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Verse 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel or against Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And the people were as the sands of the sea which is on the seashore in multitude. Now, it seems like I've heard that before, but concerning God's people. When God said to, what he said to Abraham about his, I mean, the seed multiplying and being as the sands of the sea. Can, can, can I get you to remember one thing? The devil's got a mighty army of workers that are working against you and are working against God. And they're as the sand of the seashore also. The Bible says there was 30,000 chariots, there was 6,000 horsemen, and the people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. Verse 6, And when the men of Israel saw that, they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in high places, and in pits. Verse 7, and some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all of the people followed him trembling. Listen to this. Now look at this in verse number 8. I want you to get this. He tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. I mean, he followed the word. I mean, that was fine. He tarried there seven days. But Samuel came not to Gilgal in that seventh day, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said in verse 9, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. The Bible says in verse 10, It came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said in verse 11, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed. Oftentimes God will speak to your heart. God will tell you to hold on just a little bit longer. Hold on to the very end. And oftentimes we think, I have done that. I have done everything I can. I have gone as far as I can. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes the Spirit of God will tell you to hold on to the time upon it. Hold on to it. Don't let it slip from your hands. The time, the Bible says, will come to pass. But the Bible says that 
Samuel was delayed for some reason. Samuel didn't come there on the day that he was appointed to come. I'm telling you, even the prophets sometimes had to, you know, they, they had to deal with everyday life, you know, say, I'll be over there in eight days. But sometimes something happens and you can't get there in that eighth day. And so Saul took matters in his own hands. Can you imagine what he began to do? He began to do exactly what you and I be do, will do. And that's begin to reason, begin the process of reasoning. And in that process of reasoning, sometimes we make a big mistake. One thing for sure, it wasn't appointed unto Saul to offer the sacrifices. Amen? That was not his job to offer the sacrifices. He took matters into his own hands. And he said, Thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines were gathering themselves together. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me. And I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. I forced myself. Oh, I would keep the, the Sabbath. But God, I reasoned with this, and the job didn't come in that appointed time. And, and so, God, I went ahead and took this job. Do you see what I'm saying? God, it didn't come in the time appointed. The miracle doesn't come in the time appointed. And sometimes that process of reasoning, that natural mind begins to take over. I got to feed my children. I got to take care of my family. I'm king of Israel. I'm going to have to. Can you imagine what was going on in his mind? Samuel said in that verse 15, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But verse 14, Now thy kingdom shall not continue. I want to read a little something to you that summarizes what we just read here. Saul had been ordered to wait for seven days until Samuel came to him to offer sacrifice before going into battle. And Saul had waited. But the seventh day had come and Samuel had not yet arrived. So he began to reason within himself why it was essential to, dis to disobey the direction of God. Because the apparent need pressed upon Saul, he offered a sacrifice before the Lord, which was a duty only to be performed by the priest. Not even kings were allowed to offer sacrifices. However, Saul grew increasingly impatient and began reasoning why he needed to disobey the divine order and offer a sacrifice to God. If Saul had trusted God, he would not have had the problem he faced that day, for he would have known that God, who had called him, would answer and meet the need. Saul made two mistakes because he reasoned why he should not obey God's command. He offered a sacrifice, and he did not wait on Samuel as he was instructed. And when Samuel arrived... He was very disturbed by what Saul had done. But what was of greater concern was the lack of repentance Saul found in his heart. A lot of times people are out here and they say, 
Oh, I mean, I could tell you stories being a pastor for so many years. Oh, I'll keep, I'll keep the Sabbath, you know, and, and they be real strong on, they come to your fellowship and they be real strong on the, the name issue. They'll be real strong on the feast days. And yet the whole time their job is causing them to, and they've been, they've been in this way a long time, and I knew some of them, they, they'd go away and they come back 10 years later and they're still, finally I was told one time, he said, I've only got three more years to drive this bread truck for Wonder Bread right here in Tulsa. And he said, I'll tell you what, he said, as soon as I get those three years done and get my retirement, he said, I won't have to work on the Sabbath no more. You can reason away the benefits and the blessings of God. Do you know what I'm saying? And we see this so many times. Yet what I find from this is there's never any repentance for transgressing God's holy law concerning His holy Sabbath. There's no repentance. Saul did not have a repentant heart because he disobeyed. And you got people that today will do whatever they need to do to make the living, to sacrifice, to make more money and everything else. They won't even as much as send their tithe where they have their place that they call. Now, I'm just saying this. They won't send their tithe and they won't repent of transgressing the Sabbath. Somebody says, well, Lee, do you know all of that? Well, I just am speaking in a general term. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if I'm not in the house of God, I don't have to do all of that stuff. And when they are not in the house of God, there is a great possibility that they never say, God, forgive me for transgressing against your Sabbath day. Because if they heard his word, God would say to them, I got you a job in another place. You may not make as much. You may make more. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's what happens to us. We reason away our sin. Our sin is no longer a sin because God is full of grace and God is full of mercy. If your sin doesn't convict you, if it doesn't drag you to the altar, if it doesn't cause your heart to be known that it is transgressing against not just one day but another day, I'm not telling you you can't, you can't, you can't go out there. I'm not telling you what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day. But I'm saying if you do not repent, and that is your job, your job as a Christian is to repent of the transgressions of your heart. And so that, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying here. And that was not in Saul. Let me finish this little paragraph. Saul began to excuse make excuses for his transgression, even to the point of throwing some of the blame on the prophet Samuel. He didn't come in the time appointed. Do you understand that? Because we do that sometimes. Not only do we recognize that we have made a mistake, and we are continue to make a mistake, and we're not being repentant of what we've done, we will throw the blame on someone else. 
In verse 11, Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed. Isn't it strange how easy it is to throw the blame on someone else or some situations that have arisen rather than facing the truth that the problem lies within our own hearts? Saul, instead of facing squarely his own sin, attempted to excuse himself for his sin. Reasoning in this matter is to avoid repentance and consequently we forfeit. God's forgiveness. God desired a man after his own heart, but Saul proved himself not to be that man. I want to go real quick to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I wouldn't want anybody to think that God is not merciful and that God does not deal long with people. I don't preach that way. I preach that God certainly deals long with people. But there's people that profess, you know, they profess Saul, I mean, he, he was a humble man when God, something changed. He got another spirit, you know, or something. Now, I want to look here in one verse only in James chapter 1 at verse 22. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving who? Your own selves. Self. Now, I'm not saying the devil is not the great deceiver. He is. He's the inspiration of all evil. In fact, his influence, I've said this before, is fingerprinted upon everything. Your fingerprints are just placed over his and all things you have done wrong. He just beat you to it. Do you understand that? The devil's done all of those things. His fingerprints is on everything that is anti-God against God. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Just a few verses here. Um, that's after Peter, isn't it? Okay, First John chapter 1, I want four verses or five. If we say, verse 6, First John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. For the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have not sinned, I mean, if we have not sinned, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, there's one, there's one thing we all do, at, or at least have done at one time in our life, and that's we reason away our disobedience. We reason it away. If we confess our sins, and here's a good part, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We're simply reasoning away our repentance. That's the end result. So in saying that, how can God forgive a man when a man says he hasn't sinned? <laughs> I didn't sin. I didn't do any wrong. God I'm just waiting, you know, till my retirement kicks in. I mean, I, I, I deserve those retirement benefits. And as soon as I get those, you see, not only can I keep the feast days and not only can I keep the uh, sacred name, but then I'll be able to keep the Sabbath also. God, don't you see that, God? I've worked there 35 years. If I quit now... I wouldn't get the benefits. Isn't that a shame? Isn't that something we've all done and we've all, you know, sometimes 
had to confess and ask God for forgiveness. And the Bible says he will forgive you. That's what's so amazing about this thing. But if you keep reasoning away your sins, saying something else caused you to do it, and you blame that some other way, and you never come to repentance over the thing, then how can God forgive you for the thing? Dustin said, you have not because you ask not. Now, I want to go to, and I'm going to close with this. I want to go to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. I want to look here. This was a great man, the man Aaron. I mean, he's a wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. In fact, uh, he, he was the spokesman for uh, stuttering Moses, you know, after he had been, you know, there in the back of the desert for 40 years, you know, tending the sheep. So he was, one place I think it says he shall be your God, in other words. And it didn't mean it in the sense he shall replace me. God wasn't saying that. But Aaron was Moses' brother. He was his right-hand man. I mean, he was a great guy. Now, I just want to pick up here with a few verses. And I'm looking at Exodus chapter 32. And I'm looking at verse number 15. This was when Moses had received the commandments on top of Mount Sinai. Verse 15, Moses turned. And went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hands. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. When Jesus said unto the devil, Man shall not live by bread alone. Do you understand? He said, It is written. It is written. It is written. I mean, not, you know, God didn't entrust the commandments, the Ten Commandments, uh, the so-called moral code. He didn't trust that for Moses to write as he did all of the other statues and things. He wrote it with his own finger. He wrote it with his own finger. It is written. That's powerful. So Moses comes down. Verse 16, and the tables were the work of God, Yahweh, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, Moses, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing, do I hear. Verse 19, And it came to pass as soon as Moses came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf, this image. He saw the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount. Now, I've said this probably years ago. God will speak to Moses at another time, and he will tell Moses to get back up to the top of the mountain. I, I've got to believe this because the Bible said that God spoke this, God wrote this, it's all the work of God. Now, it's all in pieces upon the ground. Do you know what Moses had to do? This time God said to Moses, but when you came, come back up, give me something to write them on. 
So Moses had to spend a little time, good illustration for our brother here, because, I mean, he is the king. I believe he is the master of illustration. I mean, he did, Robert, you will never know. I hope in, in my lifetime I can get you to know how much I appreciate the way you bring points across. But can you imagine Moses having to get down upon the ground and, and pick all of those pieces back up so that he can hew out two stones exactly like the first and take them to God. Now, if there was something wrong in those commandments, you, wouldn't you think that God would say, wait a minute, uh, it's impossible for people to, to do this. Wouldn't he have, they can't keep the Sabbath because the world's not going to keep the Sabbath and their retirement fund will bind them to that job. Wouldn't God, if he put that on a, wouldn't he leave out probably that fourth commandment? I mean, after all, it's the longest of all of them. It took, he probably could have got everything else on one stone, but he put them on two stones. I like to believe that what God done when Moses brought him something to write those commandments upon, I like to believe that he put them exactly like the first ones. Exactly like the first ones, but I also got to believe this. He put a second anointing upon them. One anointing was great, but a double portion was even greater. It made the law even more binding than it was before. So if I say to him, God, I'm 72 years of age. Increase my social security payment. God will probably say, that's in the hands of your government. <laughs> that's in the hand of your government. I mean, if you want to increase it, probably the only way when you get old is you can pay into it again. You can continue to pay into it again. But who wants to work that hard in life? Because they ain't that young as they used to be. So I say to the woman, if the husband dies early, get you a richer man that's got a better social security plan and a better retirement system. And I say to the man, if the woman was doing a pretty good job providing, when she passes away, put her whole body into the tomb, into the grave. Don't leave anything hanging out because she might have a way of coming back. Just get you a richer woman. I've said many times in life, we tie the hands of Almighty God. The blessings do not follow disobedience. The blessings follows obedience. Amen? Let me wrap this up. Hallelujah. The Bible says, verse 20, He took the calf, Moses, which they had made, and burned it in the fire, ground it into powder, strawed it with the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Can you believe that? This is what Moses made them do. And Moses said unto Aaron, listen to this, this is the part I want to get to. What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon thee? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. This is Aaron. This is Aaron. For they said unto me, Make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. 
So they gave it me. And I cast it into the fire. And there came out this calf. Listen to this. And when Moses saw that the people were naked. For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. And Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Verse 27. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side. Go in and out from the gate to the gate there out the camp, throughout the camp. Slay every man his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of, of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about three thousand men quite a sight we're not going to go into all of that but I want to say something here about Aaron's work you talk about a miracle of evolution quick evolution at that quick response evolution they throw in the gold here's Aaron I mean he's man what's this guy he I mean, this guy, he knows the word. This guy knows what God said to Moses because he was there with him. This guy knows all of these things. He said, I threw it in and out come this calf. That's quick response evolution. Hmm? Just throw in the gold and of itself, out came this calf. Do you understand this lie? Things change from what they are by self-recreation. The devil told Eve that lie and she fell from it. You can be God's independent of God. It happens in and of itself. Evolution is the idea that things progress of itself or on its own by itself. Now I'll close with this little reading on this. When Moses had descended from the mountain where he had received the law, he demanded of his brother Aaron an explanation for the golden calf. Aaron had been left with responsibility for administering the affairs of the host while Moses was away and was to blame for the condition Moses found upon his return. However, he blatantly excused himself with these words, So they gave it me, and I cast it in the fire, and then came out this calf. The refusal to acknowledge sin always has been the greatest barrier to keep men from God. Aaron's case, a powerful example, warning men against folly, against folly. As we read the account in Exodus 32 and begin to piece together the details of the story, several things stand out clearly. First, we see that there's no question but that the majority wanted some idol to worship. It's equally clear that Aaron was in no wise disposed to go against the crowd. From other places in the record, we also learn that the people were as bent on mischief when Moses was present as, he, as they were when he was absent. Moses, unlike Aaron, would have stood firm in his convictions no matter how great the pressure from the crowd. Aaron's attitude that everybody does it is no good in God's eyes. Aaron did not, answer, did not have to answer for everybody, but he did have to answer for himself. Do you understand that? It's probably true that Aaron would have had to stand alone had he objected to making the idol. But how much better would it have been to stand alone for God than to join the crowd and going with the devil? 
Aaron had seen and known much of God's working. Surely he was going against all he knew when he made this calf. He had seen the the miraculous plagues God sent upon Egypt, and his feet were among those that had trod the dry land in the midst of the Red Sea. He had slacked his thirst at the sweetened waters of Marah, and his daily portion was a bowl of manna gathered fresh every morning. Aaron had stood with her when he upheld Moses' hands as he interceded for Israel. A green army locked in combat with Amalek's seasoned desert troops. Aaron did not lack knowledge or experience. What he lacked was conviction, and Aaron's tribe is still among us today. They have experienced God's healing for their bodies. They have experienced His protection for their lives. They have received His blessings in many material things, but yet they fail Him in the time of crisis. They prefer to go with the crowd rather than with God. Their choice is based on a desire to be like the people among whom they live and to be accepted by them. Let God be left out if need be, but never let anything happen which will hamper their popularity with the world. Aaron's guilt was deepened because he he tried to excuse himself rather than to confess his wrong. At first he tried to blame put the blame on others. Thou knowest the people, they are set on mischief. He was the victim of bad influences and could not help doing as he did. Had his environment been less evil, he would have never thought of doing such a thing. And let me just come down to the end of this. Rare indeed is the man who will honestly confess and repent of his sins. Rare indeed. The world has a whole, as a whole has always been against God, and the man who decides for God must continually go against the current. Aaron did not so much as raise his voice to protest making that idol. In fact, he seemed, he's, in fact, he seemed to jump at the, cha- at the change to throw off the worship of Jehovah and plunge into idolatry. That, that does not relieve the people from having to bear their share in the guilt, but it removes Aaron's excuse and makes clear that he was responsible to answer for himself. Wow. Wow. There's not only a day coming, but it's already happening. We're writing, we're writing the history right now of how we're going to face eternity right but you know what people do they still choose to go the same way they've been going and God lets you do it isn't he a good God he lets you do it I had a guy tell me one time he said I'll get the Holy Ghost when God knocks me off Of the ass like he knocked Paul off. You remember when Paul was riding that ass? The Lord blinded his eyes. He said, I'll get the Holy Ghost then. And I thought, yeah, you'll get the Holy Ghost then. You're turning your back on the Holy Ghost right now. No. And I could take this thing on and on and on, but I thank you that I'm... I am getting my strength back. I have got it back. 
I am on the right road, and I thank every one of you for your prayers. I thank every one of you for your prayers. Thank you up there in the sound booth. Thank you guys for your prayers. Hallelujah. There was, men were right in their own eyes, you know, and that's really where we're at. We need to be right in Jesus' eyes. We need to be right in, with the law. The law of God is for us and not against us. Praise God. Let's uh, all stand and sing this song right here in the key of G. Well, I'm learning to lean. Yes, I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I'm finding more power than I'd ever dream. He's teaching. And I'm learning to lean. Thank you, Lord. I'm learning to lean. Yes, I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I'm finding more power than I'd ever dream. He's teaching and I'm learning to lean. Well, the joy I can't explain, it fills my soul since the day that I made Jesus my King. Blessed Holy Spirit, it's leading my way. He's teaching, and I'm learning to lean. Yes, I'm learning to I'm learning to lean, I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I'm finding more power than I'd ever dream. He's teaching and I'm learning to God. I see Robert sometimes, and he leans upon that staff. He leans upon his his uh, crutch there. And but you know what? I know that he leans upon Jesus even more than he leans upon that. Praise God. There's good men out there. There's good women out there. There's brothers and sisters in Christ that we love and that we pray. And we exhort one another. That's what the Word of God says. You know, we encourage each other to do right and to do the good things of the Lord. Praise God. We serve a living God. And uh, if you want to pray today, we don't have very many of us here. If we want to pray, pray. If you want, if you need to go, go ahead and go. But we're going to dismiss right now.